want to welcome those of you joining us online or by venue and everyone here as well. I want to invite some uh, special people onto the stage, uh, but as they do so, I want to remind everyone as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount in our series this year, uh, you may have noticed we skipped a few passages. Uh, we did it on purpose. It's through the Lord's Prayer, and we're saving that series for our Lenten series. Alongside that, we are uh, launching a small group series through that Lord's Prayer series. We're really excited about it. Encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, that is uh, the greatest way you can be a part of transformation uh, in community here at Ward Church, knowing what it's about. So I encourage you to join a small group for our Lord's Prayer series coming up. Well, we have some great people behind me. We can scrunch in a little more so everyone can see. Uh, these special people were part of a short-term trip to Mali, Africa, uh, just about a month ago, uh, a few weeks ago. And they have a, we have a long-standing partnership with Pastor Jean-Pierre, over 20 years as we sent medical mission trips, really leaning into our global reach value. And I thought they could share a little bit about uh, what they did this past trip uh, and Maybe one of you could share, just sharing with our congregation, our church, uh, more about the trip. Um, yes, yeah, so we spent two weeks in Mali, West Africa, around um, Bamako. Um, and during those two weeks, we went to two different villages, uh, Santa Croba and Samanyana, um, where there are some churches already established, thanks to um, Jean, Pastor Jean-Pierre Dabou and his team. We worked closely with them and were able to reach over 700 people. We brought uh, medical supplies, medicine um, for everybody. Everybody got a chance to meet with um, Dr. Kevin and have a consultation. We also did malaria testing um, and wound care. Um, and it was just great to see how much of an impact your donations, um, the church's prayers, um, and everything had on the area and our team while we were gone. And the vision is great of our work with Pastor Jean-Pierre. We do these great short-term medical missions, and their team, uh, people on the ground in Mali, will go in and start doing evangelism with these villages. A few years ago, I actually got to go to Samayana and see about 15 or 20 people getting baptized at the new church plant that rose from there in the Niger River. So it's a great partnership that we get to be a part of, and are blessed to see what God is doing. Maybe one of you could share a little bit what God uh, what God was showing you or how God showed up during your trip in Mali. We saw God come out of plastic tubs. <laughs> Literally. I mean, imagine 21 of these, us lumbering with them through airports across the world. They were filled with medications that you, many of you, provided. It's amazing what doors a plastic tub full of medicine will open. Uh, over uh, 20, about 22 years ago, Dr. Dayton and a team went for the first time to Mali with a bunch of those tubs and medicines. And they got into a little village that had refused, had actually sworn no Christians would ever set foot in that village. They had already run Jean-Pierre out on his moped with a bunch of rocks raining around him. You go to there this time, and there are five churches in that village because a medical team went out with tubs full of medicine and who can refuse free medical care in a country that has absolutely none well almost none and uh, they they saw the love of Jesus from people from a foreign land coming to them and sharing their time their money and their medications and hands-on 
uh, taking care of them. And that love opened the door, and they said, yes, come back, Pastor. You can preach in our village. And now there's five churches there. And there's many more. We've heard approximately 50 churches have been started in the Bamako area, not because of what the team does. It really has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God using the small gifts that his people are able to provide. So we saw God working through tubs. I saw him working through old men, older men now, who are mature believers and the leaders of churches, through young men and women who are passionate about Jesus, Malians who are singing and dancing in their church services, um, praising God, and it's that joy that brings people uh, to him. So we saw God in plastic tubs. What's one way, you know, this, this trip is not just about the men and women on stage, but it's the church together. What is one way we could be in prayer together for what God is doing in Mali? Sure. Well, you know, first of all, thank you for all your donations of medications and funds to help uh, our Christian brothers and sisters in, in Mali. Um, I think uh, what's so interesting to me is uh, the joy that they have in Jesus that they don't see in Islam. So many young men and women in uh, Mali don't see a future in Islam, but they do see it in Jesus Christ. And so it's just a privilege for us to be able to go out there and work with our Christian brothers, one of which is uh, Kevin Dabu, jump here, son, who's uh, with us, although he's freezing here because it's, uh, <laughs> uh, he's uh, studying English as a second language uh, over at Schoolcraft. Uh, but we just ask for your continued prayers for um, the blessing on the work that's being done there that these medications uh, um, will extend beyond what would normally be uh, expected of them. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we uh, were able to do is go to uh, the church in Santa Croba. And these people are um, the, just the joy of the Lord that they show. Um, you know, they're not the frozen chosen. They're out there and they're doing their dancing. <laughs> like this. And they're just praising the Lord. Right? And that's what we want to do. Praise our Lord Jesus Christ for what's being done in Mali. And so thank you for the opportunity to serve and your support. Great. Yeah. Dr. Kevin will be teaching dance lessons uh, later. <laughs> you know, learn about some of our values here at Global Reach is one of our core values that we believe God's kingdom doesn't end in our communities and cities, but to the ends of the earth. It's a little too late to be a part of this Mali team, but wanted to let you know there's still openings uh, for our trip to India in the fall. Encourage you if God is stirring your heart and you want to be a part of what God is doing around the world. We have an India informational meeting in breakout room B at 12:30 after the service. Encourage you to just check it out if you can. Well, as we're going through the sermon on the mount. Uh, I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's words, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I wonder if any of you have ever uh, have gotten anxious in reading a book or watching a movie or hearing a story, that you've been so caught up in that story being told, uh, the characters and the suspense, that you've actually had an emotional or physical uh, response to the story being told. Great story, storytellers have a way of bringing you in, and even though you know it's remote, you know it's not real, you get caught up in it. But what happens if it goes too far? And you find yourself too entrenched, entrenched in the anxiety of a story. A good friend of mine shared how uh, she gets really anxious watching a certain TV show. And what she does is gets her husband to watch the whole season ahead of time. So her husband will watch the whole season ahead of time. So when they sit together and watch the show, uh, that she, when she, whenever she gets anxious, she'll lean over and ask, Hey, what happens here? Or how does this resolve itself? She asks questions to help alleviate some of that stress and tension. I wonder, do you ever feel that way about life sometimes? Don't you wish that you could lean over and ask someone, how is this going to end? How is this all going to work out? Have you experienced so much anxiety in you that you've been caught up in your own story, that it cripples you to fear and hopelessness and worry, and just want someone to tell you, it's going to be okay. There's going to be another season. Well, Jesus does something a little similar to uh, this in our passage today. He's been sharing with the people on the mountainside what living in the kingdom of God looks like. That the world they live in and the paradigms of success and failure aren't the way, the way that Jesus is presenting in this upside-down kingdom. The poor, the marginalized, the downtrodden, they will be part of God's kingdom, and not necessarily the rich and powerful and yes, even the religious. He warns them against religiosity or religious hypocrisy. Then Jesus does this thing where he reveals to them how the story of life will unfold. And it reveals to them the ending of it all. See, all the things you live for, the things your earthly heart longs for, the things you think will bring you comfort, peace, and meaning, in the end, those things will waste away and actually be worthless. They'll be destroyed or taken from you. And Jesus is sharing that while it may not seem like it in the middle of your story, all, when all things are made right, his words will be clearly seen and played out. He's revealing the ending of it all. And conversely, if you store up kingdoms in his, store up treasures in his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, those things will never waste away. Those things will be eternal, never to be taken from you. But here's the most important part that he uh, gives focus on in verse 21. He says that how you know which kingdom you're investing in, your heart will be there as well. It's not just about a transaction or an investment. He talks about your heart being there as well. And he gets real personal. In verses 19 and 20, talking about storing up treasures, he speaks to the crowd in a very general, plural you. But in verse 21, he gets real specific. As though this revelation that he wants to get really personal and he uses the singular person of the verb you, or to the singular person of the, of the pronoun you. And he dresses them individually saying, where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be as well. Where your heart comes alive, 
your emotions, your desires, your wills will be an indication of what you're investing in. As we examine our our passage today, the very words of God, we're going to look at three truths that Jesus is trying to share with us. Three truths from his words that can shape and define our lives. First is the temptation. Second is the promise. And finally, the challenge. The, The temptation, the promise, and the challenge. First, the temptation. Jesus says, do not store for yourself treasures on earth. He gives this warning because our natural inclination is to store for ourselves treasures here on this earth. See, no one has to warn a normal person to not store something they don't really want naturally. Then it really wouldn't be a warning. That would just be common sense. But Jesus does warn against earthly treasures. And there's something in us that gravitates towards that direction. There's a common phrase attributed to Malcolm Forbes. You may have heard it. It says, he who dies with the most toys wins. It's a common phrase you may have heard. But it bleeds a little bit deeper into our hearts where prudent saving becomes gluttonous hoarding, where self-preservation becomes self-indulgence, where enjoying the good things of God becomes the very things we look for in our security and joy. This pattern happens over and over again throughout history. Remember the Israelites of the Old Testament. These Israelites that were enslaved by the Egyptian kingdom and finally freed by God's grace. As they were wandering through the desert, you can almost see, you can see in their lives, they start grumbling for food and grumbling for these needs. And what does God do in his gracious nature? He provides food for them in the form of manna, this bread that would descend for them. And every day, God would provide new bread for them And the people were supposed to take it and enjoy it for themselves and their family. But a warning and instruction he gives them says, take only what you need for that day and trust me for the future. But listen to what the people do in verse six, uh, verse Exodus 16, verse 20 says this. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses and they kept some of it, kept part of it until morning. Here's God in his grace and mercy in this miraculous way, giving bread And somehow they still didn't trust him and they wanted to hoard it and keep it for the future. See, you don't need a store for yourself because God will provide for you each day. But in their search for security, fear of loss, and worry about the future, they stored more for themselves than they needed. And it says a few verses later that in the morning that very bread was filled with maggots and began to smell. The thing they thought would bring them security. We have something in us that fears that eventually it will run out. And instead of confronting, we succumb to the temptation of more. More money in the savings account. More money in the retirement account. More attention from others. More accomplishments to show off. More and more and more. The temptation is strong. There's this other confrontation with Jesus uh, later in his life with a young, powerful man in Scripture in Mark 10. It says, as this man came up, said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says this after some dialogue, go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure, treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And I think some of the, one of the saddest verses in scripture, Mark 10, verse 22, it says this, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad. Because he had great wealth. I think of that interaction between this man and Jesus, where this man had come to face to face with the living God, 
face to face with Jesus and was offered the same calling he gave to John and Peter and the rest of his disciples. Come and follow me. And that same moment, it said he turned away sad. In that moment, he weighed the treasures that he had and the treasure of worth in Christ and he chose the treasures that he could tangibly hold. The temptation is strong. And this echoes Jesus' words in our passage today. Verse 24. See, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What are the treasures that we're hoarding in our hearts? Many of you know this already, but before I came to Ward five years ago, I served two years in East Asia, two years in China, and it is a beautiful country full of beautiful people and a great culture. And one of the great things about their culture is they have these wonderful holidays, wonderful holidays where the whole country celebrates, and they have great names for their holidays. One of them, the Dragon Boat Festival. We don't have anything like that. It's such a great festival. One uh, holiday in particular that I find interesting is called Tomb Sweeping Day. Tomb Sweeping Day. And what they do is the loved ones, the people, they gather on the graveside uh, of the ones they've lost, the ones that have passed away. And they do it at the graveside, but they also will do it in, in the city or wherever they can. And they go and they offer things to their ancestors, whether it be food or their favorite drinks or uh, favorite items. But the interesting part is they'll start... Uh, bringing fake money, and they'll burn it to their ancestors so they can use it in the afterlife. And it's a business there where they'll take uh, paper mache items of iPhones and paper mache items of gifts. And one person in particular made a paper mache of a car, a Lamborghini, and they spent uh, $5,300 U.S. dollars for a paper mache of car that they burned up uh, to their loved ones. I think it's interesting from our perspective, from our Western perspective. It's hard for us to understand something like that. Maybe we're confused by it, and maybe some of you think it's wasteful. But I wonder what God's perspective of us is. When he looks at our lives and the things that we invest in, the things that we labor day and night for, the things that we hold on to and think will last forever, bigger cars, nicer homes, that job, success, and power, and wealth. And I wonder to him what that perspective looks like in our lives. See, all these things God talks about, don't store yourselves treasures here on this earth. See, Scripture is radical about money and treasure. Pastor Tim Keller says, when you make a good thing an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. And I think nothing in our Western culture uh, is tempting as to make our ultimate thing than money is. We long for it. We dream of it. We sacrifice for it. We find safety in it, and we're anxious about it when we have little. Not for all of us, but for some of us, and definitely more than we like to admit, we've given into the temptation of serving to store treasures on earth as our security and savior. It doesn't matter if you have a lot or a little. We're all tempted towards it. And the temptation is way stronger than we like to admit. But here is the sweet promise that we find in Christianity and in Jesus. And I say it's a unique promise in Jesus because he really is the only temptation to really fight against and to replace that temptation of more. He's the only answer to our fears and seeking and our restlessness. And he offers us a sweeter promise in him. So we know the temptation is strong, but Jesus offers a sweeter promise. He says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For those who invest in the kingdom of God, he promises a reward, as he speaks about earlier in the chapter, that will never be taken, never destroyed, and never fade away. See, the, all, the world offers temporary fixes, temporary pleasures, temporary affections, but God promises us internal things. Think about that for a second. When you say yes to God, God opens up the heavens itself to offer you eternal things. God promises us eternal life as we find in Scripture in John three sixteen. God promises us a faithfulness that can never be removed as he shares in Psalm 89 and Psalm 138. He promises us a love that can never separate from us. That there's nothing we can do that can separate us from the love of God as, it, as he speaks about in Romans 8. A calling that can never be revoked. That when he whispers your name from eternity, that can never be taken from you, as he says in Romans eleven twenty nine, and a foundation that can never be shaken. That when we stand on the foundation of Christ alone, no matter the winds of this earth, the storms of life may come, the foundation of Christ will never crack and you will never be forsaken, as he promises in 2 Timothy two nineteen, And he promises us an inheritance. That this life is more than the things we can touch and see. That there's an eternal life and he promises an inheritance that will be never taken and never fade away as he does in 1 Peter 4. And these verses throughout our testament, we know that all scripture is breathed out by God. These are the promises of God himself created all things that gives them to us who are in Christ Jesus. He gives us a glimpse to the end of the story, a promise in Jesus that will never fade away if we focus on his eternal kingdom. We will never be disappointed in him. If we have an eternal perspective, it can never be taken from us. It will never be destroyed in everlasting kingdom. And it seems easy enough, right? If someone offers you something that's eternal, that is worth more than anything we can ever imagine, and something that's temporary, something that's fleeting, who would make that decision to choose this over this? But we do it often and repeatedly in our own lives because we know it's a lot harder than that. And that's why I want to focus this last part on the challenge of it all. We have the temptation, the promise, but what the, the challenge of it all. Jesus says where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Another way to say it is that your heart will follow the things you value, what you give worth to. Theologian D.A. Carson says, what we value tugs at our minds and emotions. It consumes our time planning, time with planning, daydreaming, and effort to achieve. And I think in this paradigm of our heart, there's really two uh, challenges that Jesus speaks about. One is this, can I really distinguish between the treasures of earth and the treasures of heaven? Can I distinguish between the two? And the second question can I trust my heart to know the difference? If we can even distinguish the two, can I trust my heart to know the difference? First, can I distinguish between the treasures of earth and the treasures of the kingdom? A recent article had this insight. Modern Western culture is based overwhelmingly on the success ethic, the belief that material prosperity is the ultimate value in life, and a person's worth can be measured by material or social standards written from a Christian perspective. While it's easy to throw stones at culture, do we not think the success ethic has bled into the church as well? When we think of God's blessing us, 
when we think about the things that we pray for, when we think about uh, how we celebrate God's blessing, isn't it tied to success? The unexpected promotion, a great opportunity, getting that job or getting into the right school. We perceive that the outward success of a person usually marks a blessed person. We might not say it explicitly, but we believe it consciously or rather subconsciously in it with our whole lives. And it wasn't much different in Jesus' day. Outward successes were seen as God's blessing. The crowd or the Pharisees called them the people of the land because they had nothing but the land itself. The people of the land that were gathered around Jesus, the people of the land had nothing. They had no treasure. And as Jesus was talking, they were probably confused. What treasure are you talking about, Jesus? But Jesus is trying to break through. This is a new type of kingdom to remind them that in Jesus' kingdom, everything is upside down. And this passage kind of helps further distinguish the two kingdoms. The things of earth are temporary. What the Pharisees lauded and showed off to other people were clothes and wealth and status and beauty and even power. All the things the crowd did not have. He was trying to show them all those things have a shelf life. And none of those things are intrinsically wasteful, but it's that thing again where we make something, a good thing, an ultimate thing. They start weighing on our hearts. But Jesus is saying in the upside-down kingdom, everything is eternal. What they had was love and kindness and forgiveness and faithfulness, and those things will never fade away. And we can know this cognitively, but we still have to trust our hearts to decipher between the two. So question number two, can I trust my heart to know the difference? John Calvin says this, the human heart, speaking about us, the human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides, so many holes where falsehood lurks. It is so decked out with deceiving hypocrisy, hypocrisy that it often dupes itself. Here's Calvin speaking to his people and to us as well. It's that your heart is really good at deceiving you. It's really good at hiding your motives and tucking it underneath other things to make it seem like it's a good thing. In 2015, a story broke about uh, NBC anchor, you may know him, Brian Williams. See, he shared a story on, on, on live TV about how he was in a helicopter and it got shot down uh, a few years prior. It came out really quickly after that. He was not in that helicopter. He was in a helicopter about 30 minutes behind that were never shot down. And it did go down, but not because of gunfire, but because of a sandstorm. And about six months later, after his life, his public life looked like it fell apart, his credibility was questioned, he lost his job. He sat down with another anchor, Matt Lawer, for an interview. It's about an eight-minute-long interview. And it's interesting because you can see it. Matt is trying to play... Uh, kind of be the lawyer in the room trying to get him to admit that he was lying and he knew he was lying but brian williams in an interview he's trying to keep saying he shares over and over again uh, not that he lied but somehow that lie came from a bad place inside of him he says it over again he says it came from a bad place inside of me that he couldn't even believe that he had said those words that he had convinced himself of a lie and couldn't tell the difference now, before we judge him, and maybe some of us were, that remember that story judged him, a recent story, a study on memory came out where they took a group of people and they gave them menial tasks like shuffling cards or rolling die or uh, throwing a dart. A little bit later, they showed them videos of more exciting or other tasks 
like uh, juggling, which is a fun task in of itself, but other things, they saw video of other people doing. Two weeks later, they brought those people back in and asked them, what are some of the things they did? And more than half the people shared uh, that they had done the things they did not do themselves, but saw on the video screen. That they had convinced themselves they had done the things they had saw. Over and over again, the studies showed that our memories are always deceiving us. And our hearts are wired toward deception, as John Calvin points out. But there is good news. There is good news. And even as Jesus shared these words on that mountainside, as Jesus shared these words, he knew those people on the mountainside would never have a clean enough heart to know what treasures on earth was versus the treasures of this earth. That no matter how hard we try to outweigh the scales with our treasures in heaven over the treasures of this earth, we would never measure up. So what did Jesus do? He has eternal life, this eternal kingdom for us, but knows the deceptive hearts of ourselves. And what does Jesus do? He left his everlasting kingdom where the very riches of the universe were at his feet and took upon himself a life here on this earth, taking upon himself an earthly body that would wither and weaken, where a kingdom where thieves would come and steal his very clothes, and a treasure of life that led him to a crucifixion on a cross. Jesus gave up the eternal kingdom to come to this earthly kingdom for us so that we could have access to the very eternal kingdom that he's calling us to, that Jesus lays it all down so that we could walk in a way to a life that is eternal in its upside-down kingdom. See, storing up treasures in heaven isn't just about making wise investments with our resources, but going all in with a person, going all in with Jesus, and taking all our earthly desires, emotions, and resources and laying them down at the feet of Jesus, saying, for your kingdom and not my own. That is the life Jesus calls to. That's the treasures in heaven that he's calling us to step into. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the goodness of who you are. Father, while we were sinners and far away, that you called us, not by anything we have done. Father, we so often want to stand on our accomplishments. We want to stand on what we've done. We want to show off our spirituality. We want to show off our faithfulness. But God, remind us in this moment, it is by grace we have been saved so that we cannot boast, that we can't boast, but celebrate only your grace. I stand and we stand, sinners saved by grace. Let that truth bleed into the very core of who we are, how we look at ourselves, how we look at our neighbors, how we look at the world around us. And Lord, when we carry that message of grace, to all that we encounter, we pray in your name. Amen.